Good. Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. It's great to be here in the house of the Lord with our family. Uh, we've been on the road for several weeks and um, many thousands of miles uh, later, and it's just it's just great to be home. And it's good to be with you this morning. And we are so grateful for this body and for this fellowship and the way that you just love Jesus, you know. And there's something about a church and uh, where the members love Jesus. And that's the first character trait. Um, I'm going to share a little bit this morning from uh, some familiar passages. But before I do, uh, let me just say that a dangerous thing is when the pastor goes on uh, vacation and uh, then ask someone else to preach, but doesn't give him any time constraints. Uh, and uh, I so much enjoy church that I I don't really pay too much attention when it's over or when it's supposed to be over. I don't wear a watch. And so, um, you know, there's no clock. Some churches that I go to they have a big giant clock in the back and there's this not so subtle message I've actually been to some where there's a uh, digital uh, clock in the uh, lectern or the pulpit. Um, Again, not so subtle. But again, I think that's a reflection of who we are in Christ here, New Covenant Fellowship. So we come to church for the fellowship and we want to hear God. And and we're not putting God on some kind of schedule or, or, uh, you know, you have to be finished by this time. But... um, so I, that's just one more example of how I enjoy uh, coming here. Um, we're going to be talking a lot about peacemaking, biblical peacemaking this morning. And uh, much of what we do and who we are today is a reflection of our culture, our cultural values, who we are, how we do things. Culture presses in on us every single day, every single minute of every day, and it makes us who we are. And how we act is a result of culture. So much of it is pressing in on us that oftentimes, I would say more often than not, it forces us to express Christ in ways that may or may not be biblical. Whoa. Now you commenced to meddling. Well, I'll be meddling the whole sermon um, this morning. This is very true when when we come to live together, the social cues of when to say something, when not to say something, who should initiate, what point. For example, if I were to say to John and Yannicka, hey, let's go to lunch today. The social cultural norm would be that that means I'm buying lunch. Well, who, who made that up? I mean, who said that? You know, that's but that's what culture is. I don't mind buying you guys lunch, by the way. But uh, um, so but it's uh, it's it's normal to expect certain things at certain times. Um, I uh, just as a true confession, I uh, pray I play a little game online. It's called Words with Friends. And there's some people here that I actually play with Carol. She's not here. She, she and I play together and I play with my brothers. And, uh, one time I was talking to one of my brothers on the phone and and I said, Hey, uh, it's your turn. You know, you, you should challenge me at words with friends. And he said, no, Jeff, it's, you need to challenge me. And I said, what? There's a cultural expectation for who should challenge whom at what time? I mean, I, I just didn't know. Of course, I've lived overseas for most of my adult life. So it was just uh, uh, I I didn't realize that there was a challenge rule uh, that loser challenges winner or winner challenges loser or whatever. Um, So we're going to talk a little bit about peacemaking today. This is an area that where there's a lot of socially derived uh, expectations But I I really want us to take a good, strong look at what the Bible says about peacemaking. And as much as it's possible, 
let's try to step outside of our cultural norm and our cultural boundaries and look at the word of God and allow the word of God to trump culture. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, is that we put ourselves, we put our do's and don'ts, our expectations, our wants, our needs at the cross. We say, Lord, here it is. What does your word say to us about this thing called peacemaking or whatever it is? We want God's word to trump culture. Um, Let's pray together before we get any further. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to share with these brothers and sisters, these friends this morning. I thank you, Lord God, that you've given us your word. What, a, what, a, what an amazing privilege to have your word right here in front of us so that we can understand, so that we can begin to understand how it is that we should act and think and what it is we should do. May your word permeate who we are. May your word, Lord God, be that on which we stand and that by which we live our lives. In your name, amen. Okay, uh, we're going to look at Matthew 5, 9. This is a, um, a fairly... Um, Familiar passage. It's in a section of the Bible called the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, when I was in Bible college about a hundred years ago, um, I uh, read a book by D. Martin Lloyd Jones. You know this monster book, this thick, on these three chapters, and it it just blew me away. I just it was an amazing. Commentary, But anyway, and we're only going to look at one verse in one section of the Beatitudes. We're going to look at uh, one verse of one section of the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes, are, of course, are part of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9 reads, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Pretty straightforward. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. But this is a term that is, is often, this term peacemaker is, is oftentimes or not very regularly found in our vocabulary. Or, and we don't use it very often, we don't hear it very often. So it can sometimes be a little bit uh, mystical. What's a peacemaker? Is this Kofi Annan uh, going and trying to settle things with... Uh, this warring faction and that warring faction. Jimmy Carter, you know, doing something. This is dating me a little bit here. He used to be a president of the United States. Just um, going and trying to get peace between uh, Egypt and Israel. Certainly, certainly those are examples of peacemaking at a macro scale. But what I'm wanting to do this morning and what I want us to look in Scripture and, and see is, is how I can be a peacemaker. How you can be a peacemaker. What is meant by the term peacemaking? First of all, it's used once in Scripture. So it's a it's a unique term. And it's not something that's oft repeated, but it is intentional and it's very unique. One commentator describes the word as is describing someone who works at peace. And I like that definition. I like it. That it's, it's a proactive thing. That being a peacemaker is, is someone who works at peace. So it's not passive. Being a peacemaker is proactive. And that's probably the first thing that we want to make very clear here. Is that blessed be the peacemakers. Um, yeah, okay, so if I stumble, you know, if I go into the local uh, Walmart and I see two people arguing and I walk in and I... Uh, I say, hey, you know, let's bring peace here. That's certainly an example of peacemaking. But more than that, the peacemaker that's described here is someone who goes out and seeks for and works for peace. The term peacemaker is in this verse 
there's this phrase that where the term peacemaker is likened to being the sons or children of God. I think the King James uses children of God. And um, so when, whenever the Bible uses the term sons or children of God, it's not talking literally about a biological uh, son or, or child. But what it is talking about is that you bear the character or you bear the 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 image or the the um, yeah the character of God of that person. So blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be the sons of God. Why why is that important? It's important because the character of God is all about peace. God expresses His character through His ultimate peacemaker, and who is that? Jesus. Jesus. If you want to look at uh, a verse on that, uh, the Bible's full of examples of where Jesus was the ultimate peacemaker. Look at Colossians 1, 19 and 20. I'll read it. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And that's an, that describes the ultimate act of peacemaking. Where Jesus reconciled all things to himself. He reconciled these things in such a way and to such an extent that it required his sacrificial giving of his own life on the cross. And we'll talk a little bit more about this in a few minutes. But let me just paint this image for you. That Christ, the ultimate peacemaker, paid the ultimate price to win peace. And to see us reconciled to God. The sons or children of God character association can also be seen in Romans chapter 8. And uh, this, this chapter talks a lot about the heirs and the sons and how the heirs are supposed to be resembling or of the same character as the father. God is often referred to as the God of peace in the Bible. Again, Romans chapter 16, the God of peace. In fact, still in the Middle East today, in much of the world, the initial greeting is peace be upon you. So when you uh, uh, greet someone in, uh, I'm going to put some people on the spot here. Um, John, when you, salam alaikum. Peace be upon you. alaikum Who said that? Okay, Kevin. <laughs> and peace unto you is the response. That's the Arabic uh, way of greeting. And it's also throughout much of Asia where the first few words um, that a person speaks are peace be upon you and peace unto you. And it was true in the first century as well and true among Jews even today uh, as well. So. What it is that we're talking about here is is the character of God and that being of peace and us being peacemakers as an inheritor or a representation or a person who enjoys taking on that character. Now, I'm going to try and follow my outline as much as possible, but at some point you may just tear it up and throw it away. But um, we're on uh, point two now. What does it mean to be? A peacemaker. Now, this is where I get I'm hoping to be able to get intensely practical with you. One of the things that people have said about me and whenever I teach, I don't often preach. There's a big difference between teaching and preaching. Um, but uh, that they they say, Jeff, you're so practical. I'm not sure if they're really saying, Jeff, you're so simple. Uh, but um, but I, I receive it. It's OK. I like practicality. I don't like theory that doesn't actually come down and live with us. Um, so this is uh, 
this is a part where I want to get very practical with you. What does it mean to be a peacemaker? This is not this part of the sermon. The rest of the sermon is not about him or her. They and them. It's about me. It's about Jeff Liverman. I'm not trying to preach to you. I'm opening God's word to share with you. And I'm preaching to myself as well. So it's about me, even us. We. True peacemaking. True peacemaking always involves risk. And often has a cost. Now, we saw the cost to Jesus of what true peacemaking was to our supreme example of peacemaking. The cost to Jesus was 100%. It was everything. He left his Father in heaven. Boy, I could just go on and on and on and preach about that. True peacemaking has a cost and is often risky. It costs our time to be a true peacemaker. It can cost, and it, it may risk our social standing to be a peacemaker. Uh, I, when I thought of this point, I thought of the fact that this was especially true for younger people, teens, who are still trying to find their way in society. You know, if they become or try to be a peacemaker, as the Bible instructs us to be, you know, they could, you know, they could really incur the wrath of their peers. And the same thing is also true to those of us who work in the workplace. Trying to stand for Christ and bring peace into a situation or apply it into a, a person's relationship is risky business. It could cost us something. It might also cost us certain elements of our way of life or, or comfort. Um, during Sunday school this morning, it was said that uh, we so much live for comfort and we do that is so much a cultural norm for us as north american christians and uh, the bible speaks directly to this and that's not on today's sermon but um, uh, that's a sermon in and of itself true peacemaking always builds the church True peacemaking always builds up the church. And what do I mean by church here? Capital C, the body of Christ. True peacemaking, true peacemaking always builds up the body of Christ. Um, one of the things about traveling is you get jet lag, of course. And when you're traveling, I think how many time zones were we? 11 or so away. And so... You, the more time zones, the more jet lag, the more um, I woke up this morning at 1230 uh, and I was just wide awake. And so I had to take some uh, uh, sleep helpers um, and they make me thirsty. <laughs> so I apologize for drinking on the job. Um <laughs> True peacemaking always builds the body of Christ. I'm going to tell you some stories that I know firsthand. And um, uh, I'm uh, none of my stories here, none of my illustration, even none of my points are have anything to do with anyone in this room. So please bear that in mind. Uh, We have uh, we're part of a mission agency and, and as such, we have. Uh, people who work with us who are, uh, of course, Christian and who maybe have been Christians for many, many years, uh, been a Christian for many, many years. And so um, and then there are new Christians, relatively new, who join our mission in whatever capacity. And um, one of the things that the older Christians and the more experienced Christians and the, those that have been in our agency for a while are expected to do is to act Christ-like, right? I think we're all expected to do that. But there's this extra expectation the older you get in the more you're in Christian ministry or what have you. Uh, So a couple weeks ago, uh, a man that I oversee, he was, you know, he's been a missionary for some 30 years or something like that, speaks 
three or four languages quite, quite fluently, Chinese being one of them, uh, which is not an easy language to learn, um, was in a meeting in his office and uh, he uh, spoke rather harshly to one of his uh, subordinates, a, a lady that works for him in this office. Now, there was also another person in this room, 30 year old, new Christian, uh, new to our mission agency. He was also there. So there were three people. Well, Bob spoke rather harshly to this woman. And then the meeting ended because uh, then we have another, you know, you go meeting to meeting to meeting and, and you uh, in this particular position. Well, the next day, Mark came in and said, Bob, I, I've got to talk to you. Uh, OK, sure. Come on in, brother. Uh, Bob, the way you talked to Shannon yesterday was terrible. It wasn't Christ-like. It, it actually demeaned her. It spoke harshly of her. It belittled her. Bob instantly began to weep. He realized, yes, it, Mark is right. He realized it yesterday, immediately after the meeting, because there's just something a little bit wrong inside. But he didn't acknowledge it, so he just let sleeping dogs lie, kind of a thing. The next day, like I said, Mark came to him. Brother. You need to do something about this immediately. Bob gets up, grabs Mark. They go into Shannon's office and Bob in tears, weeps, asking Shannon to forgive him. That's what peacemaking is. That's that's an example of peacemaking. And guess what? True peacemaking builds the body. Mark, bless him. This young guy, this young Christian, now he's got greater faith, greater understanding. He's seen not only his role, but he's also seen modeled before him a beautiful example of what repentance looks like. There's all different kinds of elements when true peacemaking is done in a way that builds up the body. Now, before we get too carried away here. I want to distinguish peacemaking from peacekeeping. Maybe even by the use of that term peacekeeping, you know where I'm going here. There's oftentimes in our culture, we come upon a situation. It would have been easy for Mark, for example, to justify culturally. Well, it's none of my business. It's none of my business. Uh, well, Bob is been doing this for a long time. Surely he must know what's the difference between harshness and kindness in how he speaks. Mark could have easily chosen to be a peacekeeper. And that's when someone takes a very passive role, sits back and says, it's, it's really none of my business. I'm uh, I shouldn't get involved. That's. What peacekeeping is be summed up in one phrase, someone who doesn't want to be or doesn't want to get involved. A peacemaker. It usually costs. Remember that point. It usually costs the peacemaker something to practice making peace. When we were overseas, um, uh, there was um, a situation where uh, we had uh, actually, well, it's just a long time ago. Let's just say that. Uh, there was a, uh, an, again, another fellow worker, another senior missionary, and he was involved as a team leader, and he had multiple adults on his team. Okay? And he had a s situation where his team was very large, and they were very fruitful. Um. In other words, a lot of Muslims were coming to faith. Wow, that's great. Amen? Amen. Uh, we, we see this happen from time to time, and we see this happen in one field or another, but sometimes not this field. Or, you know, so for whatever reason, the Lord was bringing about a harvest. And yet, at the same time, there seemed to be something that was going on here with this team leader 
that was uh, suspect or, or curi- at least curious. Um, he had disciplined, I don't know how many members of his team. He had, uh, he was speaking harshly almost every team meeting and people would write in and say, you know, there's stuff that's going on here that you guys need to be aware of. Well, unfortunately, our leadership kind of turned a blind eye. Why? Because of this fruit that was happening. Um, and we weren't the only ones who turned a blind eye. <clears throat> we, there was someone on the field, <clears throat> on the team, who also basically turned a blind eye. This Todd and Sally, we'll just call them Todd and Sally. They wanted to overlook a fault, which is good normally. But when there's a gross negligence, when there's gross examples of violation of basic fundamental scriptural principles to turn a blind eye, to to not go out of your way, to try to bring peace is in and of itself. uh, I'll even go so far as to say it's sin. That um, and what happened was in this context, John was being so harsh and so terrible and abusing so many people in a spiritual way that Todd and Sally, when they looked upon this situation, John would go to them and share. And they were just all happy and wonderful to John and never correcting him. So John was using them as someone who, you know, well, surely they would say something. If uh, what I'm doing is so bad. Well, this went on for years and years and years. And today, John is divorced from his wife. He has been fired from three different mission boards. He is in the lawsuit now with his wife. So many. This this man is a wreck. Now, I can't help but wonder what would have happened if this would have been nipped in the bud and that in unity Brothers and sisters would have gone to John and tried to make peace with this brother. Now, we, we'll never know. But uh, I use that as an example of the difference between peacekeeping and peacemaking. Another example, and I won't go into details here. Uh, again, this is not about anyone in this church or even in this community. I have the luxury of saying, look, I've lived overseas, so all of my examples uh, are over there somewhere. Um, but uh, we grew up as a part of a church in Virginia Beach. And this church underwent m- multiple transitions. Most of, uh, you know, when you're a Christian and you're describing uh, a bad situation, you use these nice words like transitions. Uh, they were splits, okay? <laughs> they were church splits. And uh, so oftentimes... Uh, this this happened several times, sadly. And in one situation, instead of going to the elders, one of my dear friends and brothers just basically joined another church. Instead of talking it out, working it out, trying to seek peace. Instead of being a peacemaker, he was a conflict avoider. OK, I have a really good definition for you for what it means to be a peacemaker. A peacemaker is one who is willing to eat the cost of reconciliation. I think that's what it means to be a peacemaker. Someone who's willing to eat the cost of reconciliation, to go the extra mile, to seek out his brother or sister and to try to bring peace and reconciliation in that situation and to put that responsibility and that cost Onto his own shoulders. Okay, back to my outline. Who is instructed to be a peacemaker? I thought about this for a long time and I thought, well, this could be probably the quickest point in my outline. Uh, It um, is the title or designation of peacemaker reserved only for those who are given that as their spiritual gift. Who in here can tell me that where this is listed as one of the spiritual gifts? It's not. 
It's not. But it is a fruit. It is a fruit of the Spirit. It is a fruit that Christ expects members of his family, us, to reflect who he is and to show the world this fruit. The fruit of the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace. Okay. That's just one of the basic fruits of the Spirit. And to be someone who's proactive in the exercise and gift of using this fruit is what it means to be a peacemaker. Now, again, let's just ask the question, is, is the title or designation of peacemaker something that's just reserved for those who are ordained or called even? That's a whole nother sermon, the, the word called. Um, uh, called into the ministry. Oh, he's called, therefore he does X. Or therefore he uh, is a mission because God called him. Oh, well, I'm not sure if I find that in here anywhere. Um, but anyway, we'll, we won't go there. Um, who is responsible to be a peacemaker? That's not a rhetorical question. Who is responsible? Us. We. Those who want to reflect the character of God need to, need to have that as part of their expression. What it means to be a Christ-like person is part of that is being a peacemaker. Someone who wants to bring peace. If you're a child of God, you can't help but be a peacemaker. Or you shouldn't try to avoid being a peacemaker. We're, we're, we're told to be imitators of God. And God is a God of peace. Now, if this is true, if the Bible is true, and um, we are uh, not only told, we are told that there's a blessing for those who are peacemakers. We're told that God is peace. And we're also told that we're all supposed to be involved in making peace or at least pursuing peace. Then why is it that the church is is just an example of backbiting? And he said, she said, and they did this or they did that. How is that? How is it that the world can see or when they see us, they see all these examples of the opposite of peace? They see examples of turmoil and conflict, lives going unreconciled year after year after year. I suggest that the reason why the world sees this and the reason why we even see it in our own body here is that we've allowed these social forces, the culture, to shape what and when and how we live with one another. Over and above how the Bible is supposed to shape us. Again, the Bible is God's word and it is supposed to trump culture. So when culture presses in on us and teaches us to do certain things that are contrary to or contradictory to God's word, guess what? Which one is supposed to win? Which one is supposed to that we are supposed to yield to the forces of culture or the forces of God's word. I mean, the obvious answer, forces of God's word. But all too often we find ourselves yielding to culture, especially when it comes to the one another verses and when it comes to being active peacemakers. All right, again, back to my outline. When do we pursue peacemaking? When do we pursue peacemaking? Uh, the Bible, the Bible gives us three examples or three times when we are told to pursue peacemaking. The first one, uh, let's look at Matthew 18. This, this is a little bit more familiar to us when we come when we talk about peacemaking and when we talk about reconciliation and those kinds of things. Uh, 
Matthew 18, 15. One of the things I don't like about getting old, although it's not so bad, but is, is this right here. Um, is not being able to see this fine print, which used to not be fine print, but it is now. Um, chapter 18. Verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. I'll just stop there. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. So that's the first time, first example that I'd like to present to you of when we are to pursue peacemaking. The Bible says very clearly, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Now, it later elaborates a bit more, and we can get into the technique of peacemaking, which I won't get into very much this morning. But suffice it to say that the Bible is quite explicit. It doesn't say uh, sometimes or when it's convenient or uh, when it's socially acceptable Go and tell your brother his fault. Or when his brother is, when your brother um, has indicated an interest in learning. No, it just simply says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Now, here's another time when we're supposed to pursue peacemaking or be a peacemaker. Look at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 22. So, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there, remember, your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar, and go first Be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Whoa. Now, um, uh, there was a famous New Testament scholar who wrote a book on um, the hard sayings of Jesus. This is this is one of those hard sayings. When. You come and you worship God and you're there and you're worshiping God. That's what going to the altar is all about. It's a form of worship and you're worshiping God. And all of a sudden you realize, what does it say? All of a sudden you realize. All of a sudden you realize you can't find the. um, But I say to you that everyone who, excuse me, 22, chapter 5, 23. Thank you. Thank you. So if you are, thank you, honey. Uh, Verse 23, chapter 5. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you. So the first time that we're supposed to go, as, as I read in chapter 18, is when our brother sinned against us. Now we're looking at in chapter 5, verse 23, when I sin against my brother. That's what this is talking about. If if all of a sudden you remember something that you've done against your brother, hold it, stop, go and be reconciled to your brother. That's how important it is. This thing called reconciliation, this thing called peacemaking is so important. As one commentator put it, that it should precede our worship. Wow, That's, that's pretty important. So if I sin against my brother or if my brother sins against me, that sort of covers it, doesn't it? And there's also one other time, one other time that the Bible instructs us to be proactive in being a peacemaker. Let's look at James chapter five, James chapter five.
I usually can't find James, so it's just a little guy, and he's tucked in there. James chapter 5, verse, verses 19 and 20. My brothers, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So whenever I see a brother wandering, moving away from a biblical, a Christ-honoring life. This is talking about a proactive act of going to that brother and restoring him. And again, it gets into some techniques here. I'm not uh, going to unpack that. But suffice it to say that there, this is an example, this is an exhortation of what we're supposed to do normally and naturally and as a part of the body of Christ. Again, uh, all too often our social, our culture creeps in. Well, it's not my business. If he, if he wanted help, he'd ask. It's actually, uh, well, isn't that Pastor Billy Bob's job to uh, go and uh, talk to them about their marriage? Well, this is not addressed to ordained people, this is not addressed to those who have who get their salary for being a follower of Jesus or for being a leader of a church or a missionary or anything like that. This is addressed to the body of Christ. When someone who is wandering, I um, I don't have this example down here, but I'll say it anyway. The Lord seems to be bringing it to mind. Uh, I have a a friend. Who, um, uh, um, who I learned was cheating on his wife. Now, at the time, I was, I think I was living in Pakistan, uh, so a long ways away. And uh, this was before social media um, was as it is today. And so I, I found this out. I found out who the person was. And I, I, I was like, oh, my word, what, what can I do? I can't not do any, something. I mean, I have to do something. There's something, you know, I'm going to, by God's grace, may it be that I would be one who would restore this wanderer. Well, I call, I talk, and we talk over the phone. That was back when phone calls, long-distance calls, were actually, you had to pay money for it. Um, and uh, uh, so... That was the cost, part of the cost. It was a very literal cost. Well, he didn't listen. Not at all. I told him that I'm going to get on the next plane. Oh, Jeff, you don't need to do that. I said, well, I'm planning on it. I'm going to get in your face, man. Well, instead of doing that, I decided to um, uh, fax (laughs) to his office. Um, verses to his attention. It was in a day when we didn't have the texting and the email and everything, but everything came by fax. And so um, he would get to his office and he would see these faxes. And of course, everybody else would see them too. I'm not recommending this. Uh, I'm just telling you what I did um, because I, I just couldn't leave it. I couldn't let my brother wander. Without, whoa, there's a good guy. Thank you. Thank you so much. I know it. Somebody else drive me home. Um, so I, I basically laid it out to him. I said, you know, we're going to talk about this and we're going to do this in a Christ honoring way. And, um, I'm, uh, you know, because he stopped taking my phone calls, basically. So I started writing out my what I wanted to say on the phone in the form of a fax. And uh, he didn't appreciate that very much. Um, but what happened was he, he he capitulated and he finally said, OK, Jeff, let's talk. Let's talk. 
And so over time, by God's grace, this brother was restored to his wife. This brother repented. This brother and his wife reconciled. Had a beautiful second marriage ceremony in Virginia Beach. So there was a bit of a cost to me. I was willing to pay it. Socially awkward, maybe. Um, Maybe even... um, a bit brash, perhaps, but um, but that's what a biblical peacemaker, that's what it means to be a peacemaker. Someone who is willing to eat the cost of reconciliation. OK, back to my uh, outline. How do we live? How do we do this? Now, this is where I want to talk a little bit about the technique of biblical peacemaking. And so. Friends, there's so much to this that one sermon one day can't, I can't possibly do it justice. But I want to share with you three elements, three characteristics, three traits of what it means to be a biblical peacemaker. If you only get these three things. From this sermon, by God's grace, take these and hold on to them. The first thing that a biblical peacemaker does in a, in a peacemaking situation is he searches his own heart. If you look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 through 5, Matthew 7, verses 3 through 5, talk about that the, the, the searching out of one's heart. Lord, let there not be any sin in me. And and evaluating whether or not this thing that I'm about to do is not nearly as bad as what is going on and what's personal about me. What does the verse say about a plank in, in one's eye? Matthew chapter 7. Seven, three through five. Mm. Well, I didn't get that verse. Excuse me. Verse three. Seven, three. Why don't you read that for us? I'm, I'm sorry. Couldn't be more precise, could it? The first thing we need to do before we go to a biblical peacemaking situation, before we confront, before we walk in and try and hope and seek to to bring reconciliation, is to check out our own soul. To make sure that there's not this plank in our own eye. Now, the day before yesterday, I encountered a plank. Um, This was... Uh, and believe me, they, they can be, they should be obvious. But the plank that I encountered was not quite so obvious to me until I hit it. And then all of a sudden it became very uh, painfully obvious. So search out your own heart and see if there be any logs or planks in your own eye before you attempt to go to someone else and try to bring about peace. Number two, approach the situation with an attitude of humility and love and not an attitude of moral or spiritual superiority. This is, you know, it's, it's risky stuff for a Christian to come in and say, you know, I'm seeing in you, a, you know, I'm, I, I'm really questioning whether or not you're living with your wife in an understanding way. I'm, I'm and and uh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I don't see it correctly, but I'd like to talk to you about this. That's kind of a humble approach. Uh, I would suggest. Someone who is approaching the situation and lacks humility might come in and say, brother. 
you are sinning against your wife and you need to repent. You know, uh, that may be true, but uh, we need to seek to bring about peacemaking and reconciliation through humility and graciousness and not an attitude of spiritual superiority. And that goes back to that example. The first example I told you was Mark, this young guy, 30-year-old guy, bringing correction to this 60-year-old guy. And he did so with an attitude of humility and not of spiritual superiority. Number three. Again, these are three very basic elements of what we should take on if we are going to become effective peacemakers. And this is number three. We are to seek to restore and not simply seek to correct. Our our motive, our objective needs to be for the restoration of a person and not simply that we can utter truth in such a way that we correct him. We want to bring about a reconciliation to God and to man in this person who might have wandered. We want to bring about a, a sense of restoration. If you look at Galatians 6, 2... 6, 1 and 2, it says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Man, that's a powerful verse. Bear one another's burdens. Again, we're bearing the cost. We're putting on our own shoulders that which is a burden to someone else. And that's fulfilling the law of Christ. And that is an essential element to effective and biblical peacemaking. So... In the day-to-day life here in Nottoway County or Dinwiddie or wherever you happen to live, let's look to Scripture, look to God's Word as the ultimate source of wisdom and the ultimate uh, understanding of how it is that we're supposed to live together and how it is that if we are in community which we are if we are in community even with those outside of the church which we are that we would use this as what's supposed to be normative or or supposed to be how we do peacemaking or how we interact and how we seek reconciliation and we don't simply look for ways to avoid conflict but we seek ways to honor Christ by restoring people back into right relationship with God and with man. Again, I wish I could say more and I wish I could uh, uh, elaborate on some of these points. But hopefully this, this gives you a taste of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ and a peacemaker. May God bless the preaching of his word. And thanks for the water.